Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of the Search Off the Record podcast. Our plan is to talk a bit about what's happening at Google Search, how things work behind the scenes, and maybe have some fun along the way. My name is John Mueller. I'm a search advocate on the search relations team here at Google in Switzerland. I'm joined by Martin, who's also on the search relations team. Our special guests today are Zineb and Bruno, also from Google. Today, we'll be talking about inclusive language. It's a topic that has become more and more top of mind in the recent years, so I'm excited to find out more. Thanks for joining us. It's great having you guys here today. Hey, John. I'm not a guy. Oh. Of course. Well, sorry. Uh, I should have known better than to say you guys in general. Thanks for the reminder. Anyway, Zineb, it's great running into you again. It seems like an eternity ago that we worked together as Webmaster Trends Analysts to help site owners in the forums and at events. Uh, what have you been working on nowadays? Can you introduce yourselves for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm now a program manager. I work with the Google Assistant team uh, and more, more specifically on the infrastructure side. And Bruno, what are you working on? Hey, I'm Bruno, and I'm a linguist working on Google Search, especially on uh, query understanding. Yes, and Bruno and I both collaborated in a working group around inclusive language with a specific focus on French for now. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Um, inclusive language, can you explain a little bit what that means? Yes, sure. Uh, so by inclusive language, we mean a language that is actually free from words or phrases that are stereotyped or discriminatory. So for a very long time, and in many languages, like French, for instance, the masculine form was the default expression in any context. So for example, uh, people would say during the executive meeting, chairmen are leading the discussion, but this could be a chairwoman, but the masculine would actually be used. So recently, we've seen a very strong movement uh, where people are being more inclusive when they speak and when they write, and they try to really honor and embrace all of the, the different identities out there. So for example, in English, we would either make sure to mention the gender when we speak, for, in for instance, what, how to become a policeman or a policewoman, or we would use a gender-neutral form, like how to become a police officer. Uh, to give you a non-gender related example, because this is not only about gender, uh, we also try to be mindful of some expressions that are not inclusive of culture, race, ethnicity, or the actual state of the world. Um, so for instance, in tech, uh, for a very long time, uh, we used expressions like blacklist or whitelist, and sometimes we still do because those are habits that are hard to change. But we should prefer using more inclusive terms like a block list or an allow list. And at Google, we see more and more engineers doing that, actually. Uh, another example, uh, you would often hear people say in the minority group when referring, for instance, to a smaller group than the, the group that is visually bigger in the room or in the country. But we should prefer using something like the minoritized group or even the underrepresented group. So those are only a few examples. Sounds like we, we really have to shift our focus a little bit. Uh, but, but why is this important for Google Search? Yeah, actually, one of the, uh, one of the three values of Google is to respect the user. Uh, so we really want to make sure that all our users are represented, uh, regardless of their gender, their sexual orientation, or even their beliefs. And gender bias has always been a very, very strong concern for us. Um, if you remember a long time ago, image search was showing only image of women where you were looking for 
uh, nurse, for example, and if you were looking for doctors, you, was, you, you would have only image of male doctors. So we've been actively working on, on uh, changing this bias and being more inclusive in how we represent uh, the two gender. Uh, but there are still a lot to do, especially in terms of inclusive writing. So what is inclusive writing then? So inclusive writing is uh, all a kind of um, practices or style that we are using to make sure that the readers feels really uh, including when reading, regardless of their gender, their ethnicities or their uh, socioeconomical status. In many languages, other than English, it's rather hard to represent a, a gender-neutral term. So as uh, Zined mentioned, um, police officer or fire person are gender-neutral neutral term uh, that don't refer particularly to a man or a woman. Uh, but in other languages, when there is no such a gender-neutral term, uh, the trend now is to always refer to both uh, Uh, term. So using, for example, fireman and firewoman when you refer to uh, the fire person or to use a contracted form with a specific character. Specific character. Could you give us an example or multiple examples of, of that in different languages then? Yes, sure. I can give you some examples in English to start with. So um, like as Bruno mentioned, we would say fireman or firewoman or a fire person. Uh, but then you have also uh, more generic examples like the, the the use of the word mankind, for instance, we use it all the time, but we should prefer using humanity so that you don't have man in, in, um, in that word. Uh, another example uh, that many people uh, probably use that, that I use as well, but again, it's a, it's a mental training all the time. In the office, we often tend to greet our teammates by, hey guys, How are you guys? Just, just John uh, in the uh, the beginning of this podcast said, um, hey guys. Uh, but we should prefer using hey folks or you all, uh, which is more uh, neutral. Um, another example as well is, for instance, the, the term Latino uh, refers to men from Latin America, but we used to use it to refer to the to all of the Latino community. Uh, but Latina actually refers to women, right? So um, the current trend today to include both genders is to use Latinx, uh, Latinx with uh, the letter X at the end. Uh, yeah, so those are just a few examples in English, but maybe Bruno, you would like to add some more examples in other languages? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in French and in German, there is more and more this tendency to abbreviate Uh, the feminine and the masculine form together. So, for example, instead of saying étudiant, so student, uh, in the masculine form, and then to add and étudiante, so the feminine form, we would just contract everything together uh, with a special character. So it would be étudiant followed by a special character like a dash or a slash, and then uh, the final ending E, which is the feminine form. And more recently, we witnessed uh, an increasing use, especially in French, of a very special character, the middle dot, uh, which is called in French the point médian. Uh, you can now find it on uh, Google Gboard uh, on mobile phone uh, by long pressing the uh, dot key. I, I see some something similar in German as well, uh, where, where they also have the slash, and I, I've seen some use a star as well for, for the ending. Um, in, in practice, is this something that you see is, is widely accepted? 
for the point médian, well, it's actually a very hot topic right now, especially in France. Uh, but we do witness an increasing use of the point médian. I, I do see it more and more on social media, like from friends or acquaintances who are using it. I, I don't know if I'm paying more attention to it or if, if people are actually using it more. But in any case, I think that people have different ways of writing inclusively. And I'm going to say that it's not up to us, to Google, to basically decide and say uh, whether people should use the middle dot, the normal dot, the slash, the star, or the hyphen. Uh, but I think it's our responsibility to make sure that our user, our Google users, can use any form that feels natural to them and that we will still parse and understand their content as expected. Cool. So it, it sounds like Google has been doing some things already in, on this front. Uh, do, do you have some examples of what, what has been done so far? Yeah, absolutely. So in our working group, the first action we took was uh, to work with the Gboard team to make this uh, point median, this middle dot, more accessible uh, before it was hidden in, in, a, in a second or third uh, layer of the, of the Gboard. And now uh, we can just as I said, just by uh, long pressing on the, on the normal dot, you would have access to this uh, point median and then easily uh, write it if you want. But we also start working on the more um, infrastructure side uh, with uh, talking with the search ranking team to see how these new inclusive writing practices uh, are handled uh, at, at indexing and, and ranking. Ooh, that's cool. So how does it actually work in search right now? And how, you know, are algorithms dealing with the middle dot on web pages these days? That is an excellent question, Martin. Thank you for asking, because I wanted to ask it to you, actually. So uh, to you, you and John, basically. So if a website uses um, etudiant, dot e like student with the middle middle dot and an e on their page can it be retrieved as well for users who search for étudiant in the masculine form and étudiante in the feminine form oh oh that's a good question uh i don't answer ranking questions um maybe john oh man way to throw me under the bus martin so I don't know what the current details are in search, but I do know it's something that the team is working on. My, From my understanding of Google systems, there are probably three aspects that are involved in, in this whole thing. Uh, so on the one hand, there is indexing. Uh, so we try to extract the words from the individual documents that we find uh, on the web, and we keep them in our index. And that way, we can try to find the documents that match specific queries. And one option, or perhaps one part of the solution, could be to automatically expand on some of those words into the appropriate versions, uh, maybe drop the punctuation if that's kind of like not a natural word boundary, but actually a sign that what is meant here is their different versions. And similarly, we could maybe automatically expand on the versions that we do find in the documents and in our index keep both of these versions or whatever versions are appropriate to keep. Uh, the, the second aspect is more about ranking, um, which I guess is the ranking question, uh, which is all about the, the serving side of things. So when people enter a query, what, what happens on Google side? And uh, we've seen from the previous episodes of the podcast that we do automatically kind of expand the query that we 
uh, that we see based on known synonyms, abbreviations, different versions of different words. And in practice, these systems tend to run automatically. So when we see that new synonyms are being picked up and used by users, we try to pick that up and use that automatically uh, because there's no way to, for us to keep up with what people are searching for. And people search for different terms all the time. Uh, so that's that's another place that could come into play. And third, one place that I think we don't talk about that much is everything about understanding entities, uh, both in the content and in queries and the, the individual attributes that are assigned there. Uh, so for example, we know the Eiffel Tower is a structure, and it has a certain height. You can ask Google, how tall is the Eiffel Tower? Uh, for other entities, the gender may also play a role. And all of this comes initially from the knowledge graph. And uh, it tends to be built up automatically based on the content that we find online. However, that doesn't mean it's automatically always correct. Uh, for example, if you ask who is the second lady of the United States, well, the role is still the same, but it's different now because the US vice president is a woman and she's married to a man. Uh, therefore, the title is now different. And this kind of bias needs to be improved both in our languages and, of course, in Google systems. That makes sense. Also, what I think makes this a little trickier is um, we mentioned a bunch of different ways of doing this and a, a bunch of different ways of doing inclusive writing. What would you suggest folks are doing when they create content online? Well, right now, there is no official recommendation. And I, I also don't think it is our role as Googlers to, to say how it should be written. But we do see content being written using various forms, uh, like punct various punctuations, middle dots, star, slashes, parentheses, using the neutral form, mentioning all the genders in a sentence, etc. So I think that all of them are valid as long as they make readers feel included. Um, what's your thought, Bruno? Yeah, I think it's also really dependent on what you are writing. Uh, uh, it's true that if you are writing uh, full text uh, to be read, uh, special character might be hard for the reader to, to read. Uh, although I have to say that there is no clear um, psycholinguistic evidence that a new special character is harder than any other abbreviation that you haven't seen before when you read a text. But if you are making lists of very short content or form or headers of section, you can really start using a condensed or abbreviated inclusive writing um, because it makes everyone feels more uh, inclusive. Uh, I also like to mention this example in France, the ID card has always the mention born in, uh, where the place of, of birth for the people and born in is abbreviated ne with a par an E in parentheses. So there is an inclusive abbreviation form to uh, agree born with female or male, depending on the holder of the ID card. So in any type of forms, you can use this kind of condensed uh, writing. But again, uh, we are not in a position to tell what people, uh, how people should write. Um, the only recommendation we can say is write uh, in the most natural way uh, that is the most natural to you uh, and that your text is uh, easily readable. Cool. Now, I imagine if, if people write naturally, then they would automatically include synonyms and variations as well anyway. So some of that probably plays in, I don't know, search's favor in that when people write naturally, they don't always just use the exact same word over and over again. 
you you provide some variety. But all of this sounds very focused on written content. And uh, more and more voice search is a, th is a thing. Um, would, would this also work for spoken information? So if I went to, to my Google Home and asked about fireman jobs, uh, would it be able to recognize that on a page? And how, how would that get pronounced? So the, the pronunciation of, of an abbreviation is always a tricky part for, for human being. When we read a text with an, with, a, with an abbreviation, we don't necessarily always know how to read it, right? MR being read as Mr. is not, uh, it's something that we have to learn, right? Um, the middle dot is interesting because it's, a, again, it's an abbreviation of the two form, the masculine and the feminine. So naturally, I would pronounce it if I see uh, étudiant.e, I would pronounce étudiant and étudiante, so the two forms. Um, but for um, computers, for text-to-speech system, it's, of course, a little bit trickier because, again, it's an abbreviation uh, that we need to handle, but that can happen in any terms. Uh, so we are working on it, but of course, it's a very long, longer term project. That's really cool to hear that uh, Assistant and other voice systems are working on, on that. But since we are search of the record and we are here to talk about search, how should search engines handle this in your opinion? In my opinion, I would say that search engines should adapt to the way people write online. Uh, so as Bruno mentioned, if it feels natural to the content owner, then search engines should adapt to that. Um, so there is a clear trend, at least in French, for adopting inclusive writing online. And as search engines, we need to make sure that it is supported by our crawling, indexing, and ranking systems, and that we also show inclusive results. So for instance, it would be great if kids, when they search for doctor or a football player, a footballer in French, or a tennis player or engineer, it would be great if they see a variety of search results so that uh, both little boys and little girls can identify to those um, professions, for instance. Mm. Yeah, we have we have seen that as a challenge in the past. And is that something that Google search teams are aware of and are working on already? Or is that something that we need to raise more awareness internally for? So we recently started with our working group to get in touch with uh, different teams that can get involved. And this is actually how we get in touch with you, John and Martin. So uh, this is just the beginning. We know it's a very long endeavor uh, to, to make all little bits, uh, parts of the system uh, more inclusive and more sensitive to, to inclusivity. Uh, but uh, we, we are hoping to solve the bigger uh, pain point uh, very soon, both to get uh, content creators uh, confident that they can write uh, the way they want, but also our consumers to, to read or their consumer to read the content uh, as they like. Cool. Yeah, it, it sounds like there's still a lot of, lot of work. Uh, would it be a positive thing if search engines just understood the one most common way of doing this, or would they need to support all of the different forms? I think that if they support the most common forms of inclusive writing, it's already a great thing. That, that, would be, that would be phenomenal. And over time, I think in a couple of years or so, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that each language ends up having their own inclusive writing common practices or agreed upon practices and that most writers would be following. But for now, I would say starting with the most common ones that we see online is enough. And obviously, this is not a one-off change. Uh, language is dynamic. Languages are dynamic. And search engines should still take this into account. And they, sh they should still take into account any new inclusive writing form 
if that form becomes prominent over time. So do, do you think over time there will become a single way of doing inclusive writing? So maybe people should just wait until there is one common thing or maybe even one common way of doing it across all languages? Or how, how do you see that evolving? So I really think each language is, uh, is different. Uh, as we highlight uh, before, in some languages, it's really easy to have a neuter form like Fireperson. Uh, but in some other, this neuter form doesn't exist and is not possible at all. So that's why there is this need to have a special character or abbreviation to, to take into account the two uh, male and female version of, of a term. Uh, now about, uh, is there one common way to, to write inclusive writing? Um, I, I think it's, uh, as Zineb said, language are very dynamic. Uh, and we, we see now a, a trend uh, about using inclusive writing, but the usage of, of which abbreviation to use is very, uh, it's still quite inconsistent. Uh, but we can hope that the more people use it, uh, there will be a, a large acceptation of one uh, in favor of another, for example, or a kind of a standardization. In, in history of languages, this is how it happened all the time. You have a hesitation about using one term over another, and the more it evolves, the more and there is a kind of a standardization across the language community. You can take, for example, the um, uh, gender neutral pronoun they. Uh, in English, using they uh, to refer to one person uh, with a neutral in a neutral way uh, has been introduced or make it um, more, more and more frequent, uh, maybe like 30 years ago. And now everybody, nobody is questioning the use of they, but 30 years ago, some people were questioning it. So it's just a question of uh, evolution over years. Cool. So, so it sounds like people shouldn't wait. They, they should jump in and use inclusive writing, even if they're not 100% sure which version is, is like the one that will become maybe more popular over time, they, they should already kind of start doing these things. Is that, is that about correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So all, all of this still feels a little bit complicated to me because probably I'm just used to the way things worked until now or the way that, that I saw things working. Uh, but it, it's been really insightful. So let me see if I got this right. Uh, ideally, search engines would automatically show a diverse set of uh, content across all different aspects. So if you search for something like Fireman, it would automatically include a different versions, uh, including websites that, that mention Firewoman or Fireperson. And similarly, search engines should be automatically able to use the different common forms of inclusive writing when they're found on a website. Uh, so the goal should be that these pages are automatically processed and accessible for any searches that are related to that. Uh, it sounds like there, it might be tricky, given there are so many different ways of doing inclusive writing, uh, even when just looking at one language. But just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not worthwhile doing. And uh, again, ideally, site owners, they should just use inclusive writing techniques whenever they're appropriate. And uh, people like you or listeners uh, should continue pushing search engines so that it kind of keeps working better because without uh, this gentle nudge across the board, I, I think it's very easy also for, for search engines to say, well, it seems to be working okay. Maybe we don't need to change anything, uh, but perhaps we do need to change some things. Is, is that about a 
reasonable summary. Yes, very good. Thank you, John. I would add just one thing that is obvious, but it's worth repeating. Write for your users, and your users are diverse. You don't only have an audience of male or female readers. So make sure that everyone feels included when they read whatever you write online. Cool. Well, I I thought this has been a super interesting topic. Uh, and it sounds like there's a lot more information available outside for, for people who want to dig in. Do you, do you have some examples that we could point people at? Yes, we'll post some links in the description of this podcast. But uh, I would start with the... with the authoritative websites, basically the UN has uh, a few pages about inclusive writing in various languages. And then, and then there's also the Wikipedia page to explain what inclusive language is. And we'll add more, more links also. Cool. OK, we'll, we'll try to drop those links in the description so that people can take a look uh, if they're interested in finding out more. Cool. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you for joining us here, folks. Uh, it's been fun with these podcast episodes. I hope you, the listener, have found them both entertaining and insightful as well. And regardless, let us know how you're liking these. If there are topics that we could be including in one of the future episodes, feel free to drop me a note on Twitter or chat with us at one of the next virtual events that we go to. And of course, don't forget to like, subscribe, and update your links. Thank you and goodbye, everyone.